The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Ribose Operation. I'm Don Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Akin. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, folks, be sure to get your very own Secrets of Doctor Who t-shirt or phone case or more by visiting sqpn.com slash merch. Yeah, we got a great design and we hope you'd be interested in maybe getting a shirt or a case or a mug or something along those lines. Uh, stick around to the end of the episode. We have some listener feedback on some previous episodes and uh, be sure to check out another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Stargate. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash stargate. Uh, so let's talk about the ribose operation. Jimmy, can you give us a recap? This week, the fourth doctor and canine are commissioned by the white guardian of the universe to search out the six segments of the key to time and reassemble them. The key to time is an immensely powerful artifact that is needed to rebalance time itself. The segments are disguised and can appear as anything anywhere in the universe. The doctor is given a locator device to help find the segments and restore them to their true forms. He's also given a new assistant, Romana, a time lady from Gallifrey, to help him. But they must beware the Black Guardian, who also seeks the key to time. Together, the Doctor, Romana, and K-9 go to the planet Rebos. There, they stumble into a confidence trick that is being played by two humans named Garen and Unstoff, who have come to the medieval planet Rebos, planning to sell it, meaning sell Rebos. The mark of the con game is the Graf Vindicay, a former interstellar tyrant who wants a planet where he can build an army and then reclaim his kingdom. To sweeten the deal, Garen and Unstoff convince him that Rebos contains mines for a valuable mineral named Jethric, using an actual piece of Jethric that they've planted among the crown jewels. The Doctor and Romana also realize that the piece of Jethric is the hidden segment to the key to time. Garen and Unstoff's con goes sideways, and the Graf realizes he's been tricked. He becomes increasingly irrational and violent and starts killing people in cold blood. He plans to leave Rebos and blast it from orbit. First, though, he needs to get his money and the Jethric back. This leads him and everybody else in the story into a confrontation in the catacombs under the city. A local shaman, a woman known as the Seeker, has prophesied that all in Graf's party but one are doomed to die. And they all do die, except for the, for the Graf and one of his guards. The Graf gives the guard a bomb so that he can sacrifice himself while the Graf escapes and thus fulfills the prophecy. But the guard was really the doctor in disguise, and he switched the bomb for the Jethric. So the Graf strolls off, raving madly and calling out for one of his dead assistants, before exploding. Afterwards, the Doctor and Romana use the locator device to transform the Jethric back into its true form as the first segment of the key to time. And as the Doctor observes, there are just five more to go. The end. As uh, we mentioned before, that the uh, 
the key to time is the is the sort of the theme for this season of mm-hmm. the yeah. of the fourth doctor uh, it's so, a MacGuffin hunt yes yeah and so there's like a uh all of the uh stories of this season are going to involve that 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 one arc it's sort of an early version of the the arcs we see uh, well we've seen arcs like this before but you know arcs what we see in the modern who uh era as well so it's interesting this white guardian is kind of a godlike being first yep. appearance is that we've never seen yes. before okay yep. um what do you and somebody think? obviously that the 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 time lords even respect because even the doctor was you know humbled in his presence you know, call, yeah. you know when, when you'd kind of make a smart comment and get called for you going sorry sir you know <laughs> yeah yeah i mean when the fourth doctor is uh is is, is uh chastened that you know <laughs> he's in the presence of something <laughs> uh so interesting we've seen sort of um godlike beings it, it, in modern who and in the past who that we've kind of stumbled upon the 13th doctor even has stumbled on them a few times um kind of an interesting characters like sort of like marvel's celestials is that what we're kind of the way to look at it what, what do you think well the the white guardian and the black guardian are sort of surrogates for god and the devil but mm-hmm. they're not meant to literally be God and the devil. They're meant to be co-equal powers that are enormous, but they're not really omnipotent. Um, if they, if the White Guardian really were omnipotent, he wouldn't even need the key to time. So he's mm-hmm. clearly a technologically dependent entity. He's just very powerful. But he's meant to evoke God, and the Black Guardian is meant to evoke the devil on a certain level. Mm. We have We have seen other very powerful beings previously, uh, one that we haven't seen the episode for yet, but that was around in the first Doctor's time was the Celestial Toymaker, who could sort of bend reality. There's also an episode where the second Doctor goes to the realm of fiction, where fictional things are real. Hmm. And we will, in the fifth Doctor's time, in Peter Davison's time, be meeting the Eternals, uh, who are on a similar power level to the Guardians. Okay. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones we saw in the 13th Doctor, or like uh, members of that group in the 13th Doctor. I think there was a, a, an episode or two where they showed up. Um, so, okay, interesting, interesting. So the, um, and the Black Guardian we've seen in uh, yep. Fifth Doctor story with Turlow shows up. Right, because he's he's what initially brings Turlo into the Doctor's life. Okay, and, and this so, is this is the storyline that causes the black doc the Black Guardian to want to kill the Doctors because okay. of the key to time story. Because okay. apparently, spoilers: the Doctor recovers the key to time. I'm gonna guess. <laughs> well, and doesn't he recovers doesn't it, it? We'll just leave it at that for spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> and and he, as you can infer, doesn't give it to the Black Guardian. Right, right. Um, now the key to time itself is. Uh, you know, it's described as a perfect cube. It maintains the equilibrium of time. It's been hidden in six segments. It's kind of like the Horcruxes or the Infinity Stones, or it's a, like you mentioned, Jimmy, a classic MacGuffin. A, you know, it's a MacGuffin hunt that mm-hmm. we're going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, when it's finally assembled, it looks it, it's six segments that you put them together and they make a transparent, a clear, transparent cube that you have the locator device stuck down the middle of. Okay. And, and it gives someone power. I forget, did the white guardian explain why? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's needed to periodically rebalance uh, the flow of, of time. Mm. And, and so he says, if, 
the doctor says, well, what if I decline your offer to go find it? And he, what will happen to me? And he says nothing ever. <laughs> yeah. Meaning time is going to fall apart. Right. Right. Exactly. Okay. I mean, it's kind of like the, the classic, you know, uh, Joseph Campbell hero's journey, right? You know, the, the, the call to the quest, the, you're given the quest, you have these obstacles to overcome, you know, that sort of thing. So there's a, he's, mm-hmm. he's given a quest. He's, he's, uh, the, the fourth doctor. So interesting. Uh, and then we have the introduction of the new companion, Romana. Romana one, she will be come to be called because she will mm-hmm. regenerate later into Romana two. Um, and the doctor, of course, it's it, of yeah. course it's like the Pope. You know, there's there's no Fran- it's not Francis the first. It's just Pope Francis because there's not a Francis the second yet. So <laughs> there, right. it's in, just Romana in, now, and there will be Romana jo- one unless unless you're John Paul the first, in which case there is a the first. Yes, he called yeah. himself the first. It's uh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> prophetic. Um, and the doctor's pretty dismissive of her uh, at first. He doesn't think much of her. Uh, you know, he he knows she, but she knows she has some information about him, which is that he barely graduated from the Time Lord Academy, which yeah. makes him very upset that she that she knows this. <laughs> yeah, he he declares it's confidential information that he got a fifty one percent on the second attempt, whereas she got a triple first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, just. Uh, it, 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 it's funny it's it's not where you graduate in class it's that you graduate right that's that's the yeah. important thing um this episode has several bits of dialogue that i remember from when i first saw it back in the 1970s uh, mm-hmm. that i just thought were very memorable um one of them is when uh romana is when the doctor first meets romana on the tardis and she says my name is romana dvarat relindra and the doctor, who's kneeling by K9, says, I'm so sorry about that. Is there anything we can do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then a little bit later, as they're leaving the TARDIS and about to embark on the adventure, the doctor says, good, one more thing, your name. And she says, what about my name? It's too long. By the time I've called, look out, what's your name? Ramana Dvarat Rolunder. By the time I've called that out, you could be dead. So I'll call you Romana. I, I don't like Romana. Yeah. Well, it's either Romana or Fred. All right. Call me Fred. Yeah. Good. Come on, Romana. Yeah. <laughs> she, she she gives as good as she gets. I mean, she's not she's not intimidated by him since she's also she's the time lady. You know, so that's that's an interesting relationship there. Although he's her elder, as she points out. Uh, yeah. The, there's mm-hmm. there's less of uh, awe in his presence than you might well, get. And she's got a healthy uh, self uh, awareness, shall we say, where she. She knows what she knows, and of course, she's the you know the young graduate from the academy, so she's right. throwing out all these these philosophical concepts and you know psychological concepts, and the doctor's like, "What?" <laughs> right. Yeah, right. She she relentlessly psychoanalyzes everybody she encounters, not just the doctor. She does it to Garen too, the con mm-hmm. man, yeah. um, and and just tells them, diagnoses them to their face with their psychological maladies, which is not always the greatest strategy. <laughs> it's not always welcome uh you know and and not in like the the knowledge but in sort of the the kind of relationship they have it reminds me a bit of donna and the 10th doctor that Mm -hmm. that sort of Mm -hmm. you know it's it's she's along for the ride she's she's there but it's she's no she's not an assistant that's for certain like she doesn't doesn't see herself as one uh, in that sense she's very much an equal to the doctor i mean obviously she's a she's another time time lord time lady and, you know, so she's very much an equal and she knows it. She's not going to put up with him 
right making right. it else else otherwise yeah i think it's a mix of the things uh, she's not a companion per se i mean not in the i'm here voluntarily sense but she i think she does view herself as being here to assist him but she also thinks she's more skilled than he is in various things yeah Incidentally, she catches him being wrong about his age. He, mm-hmm. he thinks he's 756 at this point, and she insists he's 759, mm-hmm. whereas she is almost 150. Right, right. And uh, she also uh, she kind of insults his age, accusing him of having a uh, compensation complex, a little more of that psychoanalysis we mentioned. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so with, let's talk about a little bit about Ribos, the planet itself. Um, if it's got this vaguely, I don't know, medieval Russian vibe, you know, onion mm-hmm. domes sort mm-hmm. of thing. That's because they used sets from Anna Karenina for it. Okay, ah. that would explain it. Um, yep. And so yeah. we have this, the, the it kind of um, all revolves around this relic room in which the crown jewels of the kingdom are held. We, You know, it's interesting, we never see the king or any of the officials mm-hmm. of Rybos, you know, of this or of this nation on ribos uh, mm-hmm. we just see the there's a the, the the chief of the guard the captain of the guard and some other people like that and there's this interesting ritual that they do every day you know the ritual of uh turning out the lights turning on the lights and closing up the the room and releasing this small dragon creature a guard mm-hmm. guard dog cause yeah. called a shriven's all shriven's all right and uh I thought it was kind of an interesting set of rituals, and I like it that the atmosphere it creates and the understanding you create. So this is a a, a, mm-hmm. a complex culture; it has its own meanings and that sort of thing. So that was a really nice thing. Yeah, I have in my notes nice, fancy medieval sets, and it's the planet has an elliptical orbit, which is a nice concept. So it 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 when it's farther away from its sun, like it is now, it's very cold, and that, they call the natives call that ice time. And then when it's near the sun, it's warmer, and they call that sun time. And it so they have two, basically two seasons that are notable mm-hmm. on the planet: ice time and sun time, mm. and which are like extreme versions of winter and summer, with I guess fairly short transitions between them. For I don't know why they would be short. I think you should have four seasons, but they they talk about two. And I have nice snow, castles, furs, and it's interesting. So this so Rebos, and by the way. In terms of how to pronounce it, based on the spelling, with an American accent, you would think Ribos. Mm-hmm. But in the show, they pronounce it either Rebos or Ribos. Mm. Um, they use both. Um, so even they weren't consistent about it. But it's a primitive society. They haven't even discovered the telescope yet. And mm. they one of their beliefs is that the stars are ice crystals in the sky not other sons. And we're going to meet a character named Binro who is considered a heretic because he has speculated that the stars are not actually ice crystals, but are other suns that may have other worlds around them. Meanwhile, Garon and Unstoff are from a technologically advanced civilization, as is the Graf Vindicke. And they can be present on this planet. They're not allowed to import technology to it. Because it's not yet a class two planet, it's a class three planet technologically, but they can still be here and they can interact with people on Reboss and they can even own Reboss as long as you don't tell the natives that you own their planet, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, 
they are on the lookout for uh, folks from the you know the, the Alliance Security, I think is what they call it, and you know mm-hmm. they're and uh, the the graft the that that um, Unstoff and uh, I call it graft because I, I got that stuck in my head, but the the con job that Garen and Unstoff are pulling off is an interesting con that actually has its roots in in some classic cons, which is oh yeah. The, we're going to trick this guy into thinking that this is a gold mine. You know, in in the old days, that was literally what they were doing by showing him gold. Look at this gold, and you you pull this giant, expensive hunk of gold, and the guy will think, "Wow, that's that's real." So this must be a real gold mine or lethric mine. Mm-hmm. And then let me give you this money for it. And that's see, it's that's not even that uh, simple because there's a complex exchange of we're going to put a. a uh, a, a deposit down. We're going to hold it, and then they they end up. The idea is steal the deposit, take back the Jethrek, and get out of town and yep. leave the 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 uh, the the, the, the graph. Yeah, hold holding the empty bag. You know, the sort of thing. So I th- I, I kind of like this complex con job that they've unfolded here, which then ropes in the Doctor and Romana because. The the MacGuffin is the thing that they want. It's the central mm-hmm. part of the con. So I kind of it was a very nice, uh, neat story. Well, I got a kick out of Unstaffa where he starts telling the whole story. You know, supposedly as the guard. You know, oh my dad, he found this and he lost the mind after. You know, that was <laughs> yeah. the Scringe Stone. Yeah, yeah, the, Scringe Stone. Uh, Unstaff claims that that the Jethric. He doesn't know. He says he doesn't know the name Jethric. He pretends to be a a, a local. Uh, guard and so someone from the planet and he says that the jethric is known to him as scringe stone and if you put a piece of it around your neck you will never get the scringes and then he has this <laughs> elaborate uh which is sounds great yeah i don't know what yeah. the scringes are but i'm glad that this will protect you from it <laughs> yeah. um and he's got this elaborate story about he's he's so uh, I, this this uh, story is written by robert holmes and mm-hmm. as you would expect from a Robert Holmes story in his prime, it's really good. And it's got multiple layers. And the con has multiple layers. Because what they're really trying to do is sell the graph, the planet. Mm-hmm. And they bring in the Jethric just as a deal sweetener to get him to raise the price that he's willing to put on deposit for the planet so they can steal the deposit. And then they uh, then Unstoff takes his own initiative to try to sell him a treasure map on top of the mm-hmm. deal sweetener. So we've got a three level con operating here. Yeah. And and they have to break into the relic room to plant the Jethric among the relics so that, you know, the graph will happen to notice it there. You know, it's not even like here you could buy this planet with this great Jethric mine. They plant it so that he does. So he thinks that they don't know it's got a Jethric yeah. mine that they're selling this planet for. So we can really get a, we can really get a great deal and, you know, appeal to his greed in that sense. And so they plant it and then have to take it back. And it's just, a, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a classic, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like a classic uh, heist movie, con mm-hmm. movie. So I, I, I really enjoyed well, that part of it. Well, you've got them cutting the glass and then being able to repair it. So it looks like it's brand, you know, it's new that it, it hasn't been damaged and, mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 nobody, you know, you think that you would hope the guards would notice. Where did that come from? That wasn't in here before, but but of course, you know, human nature being what it is, or yeah. 
Rebosian nature, I guess, being what it is, they just kind of like, oh yeah, well, it's uh, whatever. <laughs> Someone must have put it in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it must have been there all along. I just didn't notice it. <laughs> yeah, didn't notice it till now. Incidentally, also in keeping with the way Robert Holmes writes, the two crooks are actually decent people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the powerful, like the Graf Vindicay and his assistants, who are actually bad people, and the the two crooks who are just trying to make a living and get rich are 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 golden hearted especially unstoff mm-hmm. um garon is a kind of pompous but he's fundamentally okay mm-hmm. whereas whereas unstoff positively becomes kind especially yeah. in his interactions later with benro the heretic yeah uh there's a re- there's some really touching interaction between Benro and Unstoff, where Benro has been explaining why he's regarded as a heretic, and he used to be a great man, but now he's he he's laughed out of society, and he barely survives, and he can't work anymore, and and he's got this theory about the st- about the stars being other suns, and and there's a there's a really really nice this is another nice bit of dialogue in it where the two of them are talking and and. Unstoff has started to bond with Benro, and he says, Benro, supposing I were to tell you that everything you've just said is absolutely true. There are mm-hmm. other worlds, other suns. And Benro says, you believe it too? And Unstoff says, I know it for a fact. You see, I come from one of those other worlds. You? I thought I should tell you because one day, even here in the future, men will turn to each other and say, Benro was right. And for Benro to hear this mm-hmm. after years of being scorned is just incredibly moving for right. him. And he decides at that moment, he doesn't realize its full implications yet, but he decides at that moment that he will do whatever he needs to do to help Unstoff, the man who finally told him he was right, and that other people would one day recognize that too. And it's a really human, really moving scene and unfortunately um Benro is soon shot by the Graf Vindicay um but it it's just very touching the interaction of these characters and it's nice because it doesn't have to be the doctor who does says these things like i think in a lot of modern you know new who it's always the doctor who's the the hero of these moments or or at least one mm-hmm. of the companions but it's a secondary character who we'll never see again who gets to have these moments they 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 it it makes it a well-layered mm-hmm. uh, story with some depth and uh more depth than sometimes they 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 give the audience credit for in, in new yeah, so i kind of yeah. like that well and and garen and ustoff are just fun characters too i mean yes. garen is mm-hmm. just a fun character he's just Kind he's of funny, a, yeah. He, he's a con man, but he, he's just that you know very charismatic, fun character, you know. And he, right. he, you like you know he's he's not a one note character. Yeah, I mean, neither of them are. The yeah. the the gentleman who played him, Ian Cuthbertson, is was well known in mm-hmm. in in kind of British sci fi acting shows at the time. He did other things like I think he's most famous for the Stone Tape. If you've ever seen that, um, it's about a. Um, a theory that paranormal events can leave psychic impressions in buildings like made out of stone. Mm. And so you could, if 
if you develop a stone tape machine that will allow you to read what happened previously in a building. And that actually gave its uh, name to a, to a theory in parapsychology that that's what hauntings are. That it's hmm. their psychic impressions. They're not actually ghosts. Ghosts are real, but they're a separate thing. If you see something playing over and over, like a, a shadowy figure that always descends a staircase and never does anything else, it's like a recording. And the theory is that's what it is. It's a place recording. And it's known as the stone tape theory based on the show that Ian Cuthbertson was in. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Incidentally, um, there's another really nice bit of dialogue about Benro that I remember mm-hmm. from childhood, where um, Romana and the doctor are being asked about, you know, who have they seen anyone suspicious, and did they believe the story about the scringe stone? And and they're like, oh yes, quite totally. I mean, he had a very honest face. <laughs> Romana notes, and then later. The doctor and Romana are alone, and the doctor indicates he did not believe Unstoff's story about the scringe stone. And Romana says, you mean you didn't believe his story? No. But he had such an honest face. <laughs> Romana, you can't be a successful crook with a dishonest face, can you? <laughs> yeah. And I've remembered that ever since childhood. That is a good, that is a good line. You know, another another interesting line, speaking of dialogue, uh, Graf at one point says, uh, the, the Graf says, um, the Jethric is big enough to make a man rich beyond the dreams of avarice. And that, mm-hmm. as a Star Wars fan, that totally you know, uh, reminds me of you know, Leia's quote to Han Solo, uh, who responds, uh, uh, I don't know, I get pretty big dreams. You know? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not exactly the same quote, but I just thought it was funny because this episode, I think pre... Yes. 78. 78. So, and that is from actually... That's from that's post Star Wars, so I don't know. Maybe it's inspired by. I believe the phrase "dreams of avarice" go has a history in English literature. I okay. don't know if it goes back to Shakespeare, but I believe it has a significant history. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so uh, at one point, the graph kind of cottons on to what's going on that there's a, that there's a con going on, and the Doctor and Romana kind of get caught up as thought of as being accomplices to Garen and he gets arrested and um, he ends up oh. slapping the doctor with his glove. So the doctor grabs oh. his glove and slaps him. I back. love that one. That's a great scene. And I wonder how much of the dialogue was improvised there because the graph is abusing physically abusing uh, Garon. He's like slapping him around. And, and at first he's, 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 he starts by just calling him names and, um, Garon is groveling to try to get out of it, and the graph calls him a cringing cur. And at first, the doctor is agreeing with with the graph, presumably to ingratiate himself to the graph mm. and and convince him he's not a, an accomplice of Garon's. And so he's also dumping on Garon using exactly the same words as the graph is. So it's like, yes, you cringing cur. <laughs> And then, and then when the graph slaps Garon, the doctor slaps the graph and says, "Don't slap the cringing cur." <laughs> <laughs> right, right. That, that was pretty good. <laughs> um, and so then uh, there, so that's Garen and the doctor and Romana are captured, but Unstoff is free. And this is a, a, around the time when he meets uh, uh, Binro the heretic uh, because they. 
the the guards of the relic room at the urging of the graph bring in uh the seer this woman uh the bone seer which is a mm-hmm. it's a good name and oh and i wish they had showed us more about how she actually about her actual procedure because bone divination is a real thing and mm-hmm. it, it, it it exists in multiple cultures across the world um i was and so i was very interested once they mentioned her to see what she going to do what kind of bone divination is she going to do one common form is where you take a collection of bones and throw them and onto the ground and then you look at the pattern that they make and derive your oracle from the pattern that the bones have made another known as scapulomancy um is where you take scapula bones or shoulder bones and you manipulate them you may for example burn them in a fire and then notice the way they crack and get your oracle from the way they crack and this has been this is used um these different methods are used uh and have been used since primitive times since like prehistoric times stone age times um for example the the shamans in various tribes will be assigned to do things like figure out where the game is going to be so we can go hunting Mm. and they will then use scapulomancy to discern where the game is going to be for the hunters um so they make real life important decisions using this kind of stuff and and so knowing robert holmes's interest in in kind of magical effects i was really curious to see what form of of bone divination is the seek the seeker going to use and she didn't really use anything she's got a couple of bones one of them looks like a femur the other is kind of like a femur and she she invokes the gods and that's not unexpected I, I took a whole course in paranthropology on this, but it, she invokes the gods, urges them to come into the bones, and then doesn't throw the bones or burn the bones, or she just kind of waves the bones. Yeah. And so it's like, no, oh, this isn't any kind of bone bone divination that I'm familiar <laughs> with. But I'm 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 glad that they uh, I, I liked seeing this because it's a real bit of human anthropology. Mm-hmm. That um, that Robert Holmes was picking up on, and by the way, notice how friendly uh, he, Holmes is in his scripts. And he was also script editor in this period on Doctor Who, or will be script editor in the Fourth Doctor's time. Um, but notice how similar the Seeker is to the Sisterhood of Karn. Oh yeah, because they also they've got these powers that are treated as real, and and even though. Um, the Graf and his uh, Shalak, his assistant, are um, initially very skeptical of the Seeker. They note that the natives on Rebos really believe that the Seeker can find people, because that's what they initially hire her to do, is find the person that stole the money. Um, and and it turns out she does have real abilities, it seems. She yep. can really find where where uh where Unstoff is and then later she's got this prophecy that comes true and the graph after seeing her abilities comes over to believe that it's true he just doesn't realize he's not the one that's going to live yeah. um <laughs> and, but uh, i i found the whole thing with um with the seeker fascinating 
And she has a similar kind of, it's not the same color, but she has a similar kind of costume and face paint mm-hmm. um, to the Sisterhood of Karn. And also the uh, much farther down the line in New Who, in uh, the end of time, the 10th Doctor's regeneration story, when Gallifrey comes back, there is a, um, uh, there is a prophetess on Gallifrey who also has face paint and does weird things and is able to see the future. And she is called the, the visionary. Yes. And yeah. she's very reminiscent of the seeker in this or the sisters of Karn. Right, right, right. That's right. Yeah. It's, it, well, the, it was an interesting addition. Go ahead, Father Corey. Well, I was going to say, and she, all, the bone shaker also has a, a variant on, you know, so let it be, be written. So let it be done. You know, it's yeah. the, you know, it has been written, she said at the end of her, her, her vision, her prophecy, which of course mm. it did happen. Yes. Yeah. It It is interesting how, yeah, they treat it as it's real. It happens. It works, uh, you know, within the yep. show. Uh, so meanwhile, so uh, Binro, the heretic, hides Unstoff in the courtyard. And that's that that's the how they meet. But it's it's what gets it's his kindness to Unstoff that really unlocks Unstoff's kindness to him. You know, this Benro has nothing to gain and everything to lose from hiding this fugitive. And yet he as a hunted man. You know, or at least a disdained man at the bottom of society, an outcast. Uh, he welcomes in this guy, so that that kindness really pays itself back in the in the kindness that Unstoff gives him. Um, meanwhile, so Garen in the Doctor and Romana hanging out in the Graf's quarters, and Garen talks about his origin. He's from Earth. In fact, at one point, the Doctor notes that Garen's got a Somerset accent, which he, which yeah. that was kind of a strange thing to find on on uh, Reboss and. Uh, He's a human from Earth who had to run away when he sold Sydney Harbor to an Arab for $50 million. <laughs> and his scheme was discovered when he got offended that the Arab wanted him to throw in the Sydney Opera House along with it. Which, yeah. you know, it's like, why don't you just, like, you're scamming him anyway. He's like, no, no, it's the principle of the thing. <laughs> that yeah. was way too low a price for the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> I feel like that. Incidentally, both Garon and Unstoff change accents repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, do, so at one point, Garrod is using a Somerset accent, but at another, at other points, he's using a much more normal, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it, if I would describe it as a posh accent, but it's a more upper class accent mm-hmm. than, than the Somerset accent. Also, Unstoff at one point tries using a Somerset accent to pretend when he's pretending to be the the local guard. Um, and, and, and later says to Garon, what did you think of my accent? And, and Garon is like, it froze my heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think you were going to get away with it. <laughs> yeah. And, and he also, Garrett also reveals that they've came up with this scheme to use the Jethric to trick people into buying planets, you know, uh, but, to, but in the stealing the deposit from them. And it's like, it's interesting part of human nature because that Jethric is really, you know, valuable. But mm-hmm. it's they mm-hmm. don't just want to walk away with it and you know sell it and make a lot of money. They want to they, they're in in it for the scam. I mean, they're it's almost you can almost get the sense of the scam is really what get, keeps them going. The con, not yeah. the money. You know, the money's just well, a way of keeping score in a sense. And Gareth said that they've done this before. That they've used that piece of Jethric multiple times right. for the same scam. In, yeah, in so. fact, they they sold one planet to three different owners using the jethric yep. <laughs> yes so it is i mean it is it's in 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 magic um the jethric is what would be known as a prover 
approver is something that you show to someone as proof that what you're saying in the con is true. Yeah. And, you know, and magic is a con. You're just not typically extracting anything other than a ticket price from a person. But mm-hmm. um, but it is similar. You're fooling people into in, and it's like, how did they do that? Yeah. So magic is a less dishonest con. Yeah. But you can't if you want to if you want to do the con repeatedly, you can't give away the prover. So even though the Jethro mm-hmm. gets out, itself is valuable and you could sell it in an emergency, you you need to not do that if you want to keep the game going. Right. 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 And uh, obviously, you do some of the similar tricks, if you will, in Magic as you use in the con, as we see at the Doctor twice doing some sleight of hand, where he slips the, switches the Jethric with the bomb for the graph, yeah. and then switches the rock that Garoff switched to the Doctor for the Jethric, and then switched him back. Switched it back, mm-hmm. yes. That was a nice little double. Yeah, and the Doctor name checks a 19th century magician and says, I was trained by this guy. <laughs> yeah. So, Unstoff, Binro takes Unstoff under the city through first through a, a crypt basically and then mm-hmm. into these catacombs that run under under the city to you know to escape from the guard and the and the bone seeker um but warns him of the the, the dangers of the catacombs are the ice gods and the shrivenzal uh so the shrivenzal again are the uh the dragon like creatures we never actually see the ice gods but so it's it, it's, it's probably a, a legend more than mm-hmm. uh any kind of reality um and uh, so th- that's where a lot of the, the, the subsequent action takes place. I, we didn't mention, by the way, the other companion uh, uh, right in this uh, episode of the season, which is K-9, Mark II. Oh, yes. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently, so at the end of the last season, the doctor gave the original K-9 away to... Uh, Romana. To, uh, not uh, Romana. I'm sorry, Leela. Leela. Um, and that was apparently from behind the scenes. That canine just didn't work very well, and it was constantly breaking no. down and causing problems. And they weren't going to bring back canine until the 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 guy who creates it assured them that we've finally got it. This is going to work. It's going to be a lot better. And so that's why we have canine Mark II at the beginning of this season. Um, so well, it was and, nice and, to have him. Who will eventually with who will eventually be given to Romana too? Ah, yep. Okay. One, one big issue with Canine Mark One is it was, they were remote, obviously remote controlled dogs. Yep. And the first one, the frequency that the remote control worked on, one of the biggest problems was a similar frequency that the lights and the cameras and everything would emit. The, all the equipment would emit at certain points, so then it would, the dog would go nuts, basically, right, <laughs> or stop working altogether. Yeah. So they 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 figured out a better frequency, I think, for the second second dog. Are there only two? Uh, canines in Classic Who? In Classic Who, yes. Yes. Then the canine comes back with Sarah Jane in uh, the 10th Doctor. And that's a, mark th- that's a Mark III canine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The, also in this episode, they introduce something new for canine, which is a dog whistle. Mm-hmm. So we see at the beginning of the episode, the Doctor is testing a dog whistle for canine. So now he has a way of silently summoning canine, who you don't have to have. Or if, you're, if you want to, I mean, canine is basically a mobile blaster. That's mm-hmm. K9's main function on the show um, is to show up and, and use a ray gun to either stun someone or blast through a wall or things like or hold people, you know, at a distance mm-hmm. or things like that. And and you don't want this prop trundling around with you for the entire story necessarily. And so now by introducing the dog whistle. They can leave Canine in the TARDIS, which is which they do. Canine does not appear in episode two of this four-parter. 
Mm-hmm. And then when canine is needed, the doctor can blow the whistle, which no human can hear. And so it's a secretive way of summoning canine, and he'll show up and do whatever blasting needs to be done. Although at you know, one I, point, the doctor makes the Garen and Ramada cover their ears when he blows the whistle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, I will disagree that he's only a mobile blaster. He's also a mobile tricorder. <laughs> and they use and it for mobile. scanning as well. Yeah. And a mobile computer and computer interface. Yeah. 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 That's true. Uh, so incidentally, oh, yeah. incidentally, one thing that I I like about, I mean, we've talked about how Garen and Unstoff are both nice characters. Garen has this, I mean, Unstoff has this kindness and Garen has this kind of comic pomposity, um, which is fun to watch. At one point when he and Unstoff are about to be executed by the Graf Vindicay and they both survive, so they, they don't die. But at one point it looks like they're going to. And Garen says, I was going to make a touching speech, but my throat is too dry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And and Garen is just, uh, he, he's like other con men we've seen, like later in the in the uh, Sixth and Seventh Doctor's time, we'll meet Sabalom Glitz. Mm-hmm. And Sabalom, they're both con men, but Garen is so much more entertaining yeah. Then Sabalom Glitz to my mind. Sabalom, Sabalom Glitz is entertaining, but he's kind of he's slimier mm-hmm. and he doesn't have the same panache that Garon does. So I think Garon is a more successful con man as a character. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, I agree. I agree. Uh so the graph forces the seeker to take them down into the catacombs to to to, to hunt down uh, Unstoff and his money and the Jethric. Uh, but the, she gives that prophecy that they'll all go in, but only one will die. And this is where the doctor, you know, we see this one guard as they go in, who kind of is hanging behind and has to be told, come on, let's go. And of course, you know, they don't say it, but we, everybody's paying attention knows that's the doctor is dressed yeah. up. Um, the the guards have like night helmets on, so you mm-hmm. can't see their faces. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're dressed appropriately for a class two world. So they kind of fit in is the idea. Class three. Well, Three, Three, yes, yeah. yeah. And, we, and we, we know it's the doctor because there's uh, canine had knocked one out, one of the guards out, so mm-hmm. they, they could escape. And we see the doctor looking at the guard, and then the next scene we see him standing there in the mm-hmm. yeah in the, the, the knight's and then in the case armor. And then in case you didn't get it the first time, which, yeah. you know, if you're paying attention, you will get it. That's the doctor. But they made it clearer, even clearer later, as they're going into the catacombs, we see the guards file past us. And the last guard has yeah. the doctor's scarf peeking out from under his robes. <laughs> it's really yep. So meanwhile, the captain of the guard of the uh, the the uh, Rebalsian uh, relic room, uh, he's decided I've had enough of all these people. I'm just going to seal them all up in the catacombs, brings down this little, you know, can in this mortar. Basically, it's heavy duty mm-hmm. little mortar. And he's going to blast this thing. I, I hope they covered their ears because blasting that thing in that little space would would deafen people, <laughs> maybe even kill them. Um, but seals them the in the studio. The studio, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so the uh, you know, so they're all sealed in, in hope in the hoping that there is another entrance. You know, Binro has revealed that there that there are rumored to be other entrances out of the out of the uh, the catacombs. Uh, the 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 graph ends up killing the seeker. Uh, you, you know, once he once they find. Uh, un, uh, Unstoff and uh, Binro and Garen and that uh, and uh, ends up embracing the Doctor 
you know, everyone's dead, including his his right hand man Sherlock, and right. embraces the Doctor, thinking he's one of the guards. And we've talked about this before. And hands him a bomb and leaves, thinking that he's the one prophesying to survive. And you think about that: what kind of arrogant guy? And yeah. what kind like thinks that the guards just like, oh sure, yeah, I'll uh, blow myself up here and, and, well, and save you. And and the bomb is beeping, and you you hear the beeping fading out as. <laughs> Shrop, the, 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 as he's leaving yeah um as the graph is leaving and it's like okay obviously the doctor no longer has the bomb and of course he goes around the corner and poof you know <laughs> explosion was, and smoke yeah. come off of the corner yeah, yeah yeah that was so the doctor actively killed someone in this episode yes, yes. but per, uh Possibly self-defense i think i would, I would, I would but say the graph was also completely nuts as he was calling for his dead yes. lieutenant and you know, off was, to war, and you could hear the voice. They also overlaid some, you know, voices of of soldiers and battle and stuff like that as he's walking away. Yeah. He was also planning on getting up into orbit and then doing planetary bombardment. Yes, yes, yeah. He he was, you know, we didn't say before, but he was this tyrant who had gone off to war from his own empire, uh, leaving his brother in charge, and you know, had spent years conquering and waiting and you know, bloody conquest. And in the meantime, his brother kind of said, you know what? Uh, you're deposed. <laughs> like you, You're not welcome back. I'm going to stay in charge because you're a, a lunatic, a, a, you know, a bloodthirsty lunatic. And so his, he was trying to build an army to get back. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, only the way Garen presents it, it wasn't the brother that claimed the throne. It was the people that said, yeah. you, we don't want you anymore. Right. Right. You left. We like your brother better. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Um, so... Uh, and then, as you mentioned, at the end, we have the double switch with Garon, who tried to steal the Jethric f- from the Doctor and ends up, the Doctor, you know, uh, stealing it back. So you have a, you have a, a double uh, uh, sleight of hand going on there, which, which was a little, which was nice. Uh, and that's where we end with the, the Key of Time segment becoming visible. Uh, and, you know, number one is down. So, uh, and I think, in fact, that's exactly what they say <laughs> at mm-hmm. the end there is uh, oh, the one down, five to go. So any uh, any other notes about this episode, Father Corey? So you might have noticed that Tom Baker had a mark, had a scar above his lip that wasn't yes. there last season. Yeah. Uh, he It was actually due to uh, Paul Seed's dog. Paul Seed is the actor who played the graph. He, he had taught this dog a trick, and Tom Baker was trying to have the dog do the trick, and the dog bit him instead. <laughs> On the lip. On the lip. Oh. So there's a little mark just above his his lip where that you could see that they had, you know, make up over it. So it wasn't quite as noticeable. And you'll see that scar throughout the season. It, it's gone next season, but you'll see it throughout the season. Uh, but interestingly, uh, Paul seed himself, he, uh, after this, he gets nominated to become a director. He goes to the BBC's director school and eventually directs the BBC, the British version of house of cards. Oh, now people in the United States know house of cards from the Netflix version with uh kevin spacey yeah but i know it's from british the british version, version. yeah the, the british but version a british is version. amazing yeah to go, I, I, it's one of those shows that's been on the list to watch because i've heard it's really really good yeah so he uh he was the director of that among other things i mean you look at his his list on imdb and it's you know it's a you know 10 foot long list you know he's he's been very very productive right right mm-hmm. interesting yeah yeah it was i mean he was good he chewed the scenery really well in this one so that mm-hmm. was good yeah, his story arc is to become progressively I mean at first when we meet him he seems a little bit ruthless but basically mm-hmm. sane and then he goes crazy over the course of the episode. Yeah. 
as mm, his yeah. as we see more and more of what led him to be deposed. Yeah, exactly. I kind of wanted to know what the trick was, the dog trick. Was it like, you know, take something from my mouth or something? I don't know. I, my, I wonder if it was something <laughs> like that and, the you know, Tom Baker messed it up or something or, or you know, had to pick up the dog or something. The dog didn't like that or who knows. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And I was going to say, and then um, speaking of dog, you know, line I remember as a kid was a uh, canine. Don't stop at all the corners. <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember <laughs> them saying that in the catacombs. <laughs> yes. That's funny. Jimmy, the um, so I haven't seen I, I'm aware of, but I've never seen the American version of House of Cards. But the British mm-hmm. version, it's a set of three. It wasn't an ongoing series. It was a set of three mini series. The mm-hmm. first one is House of Cards. The second is to play the king, which is interesting in that it. So the the first one house of cards deals with the aftermath of the of margaret thatcher losing power or dying mm-hmm. and then the second one to play the king is actually relevant to what's going on now because it involves the aftermath of the passing of queen elizabeth mm. and her son becoming king and and how does the prime minister deal with such a king right um, they don't call him Prince Charles, but he's obviously meant to be Prince Charles. And because of when it was made, Di- Princess Diana was still alive. So there's a Diana surrogate and there are a couple of Prince William and Prince Harry surrogates. And then the final one is called The Final Cut. And all three of these miniseries pro- uh, follow a-, a character named Francis Urquhart, who mm-hmm. is a minister of parliament who rises to become prime minister and he is exceptionally ruthless. Um, it is just amazing. And he also talks to the audience regularly, commenting on the people around him. And it's it's um, it's it's really a, a study in ruthlessness power, and yeah. and yeah. and power and and manipulation and all kinds of stuff. And it's it's especially the the. I think the first two are better than the third. They're, the first one is just genius, but mm-hmm. it's well worth watching. And yeah, the, uh, uh, he, Francis Urquhart also has a uh, catchphrase that he uses. Whenever someone asks him something and he wants to say yes, but he doesn't, but he wants plausible deniability, what he will say is, you might think that. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Kevin Spacey so, version one had a lot of that similar where he, he talked to mm-hmm. the audience and, you know, alt, extremely ruthless, rises from Congress to president. Um, that went on for six seasons, but I didn't. I only watched like the first three seasons. Yeah. Um, and once he um, he got ejected from the show because of his off-screen uh, misbehavior, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't as good, you know, the from what I hear. So it, it kind of faded quickly. I mean, you got rid of the main character. It wasn't going to work, you know. But he was mm-hmm. also Frank um, Underwood. Underwood. That's what it was. Frank Underwood. Right. Uh, so Instead Francis. of France, Francis from Kentucky. Urquhart. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was from Kentucky. I think he was like a senator from Kentucky Georgia. originally. Georgia. Peach. Georgia. Okay. Yeah. Uh, any in, other, anything else, Jimmy? In the British version, he was from the Shires, so he was an upper crusty, <laughs> but from from the boonies. Mm, right. Well, from the Shire and Underwood. Hmm, yeah, Underhill. Not a coincidence. Also, his initials, Francis Urquhart, would um, yeah 
be occasionally used to comedic effect by the British tabloids. Yeah. You know, F U to PM. Right, right. Things like that. <laughs> yes. And they, that's uh, Frank Underwood had the same, yeah, the initials. Mm. Uh, anything else on this story, Jimmy, uh, before we nope. go, go to our feedback? So we have some, uh, some feedback we got from our listeners. First feedback comes from our episode 301 on the Curse of Fenric, which was the seventh doctor. Paul Leone wrote on YouTube, uh, wow, Ultima, that's a deep cut. Love those games back in the day. I once saw mm. a cheap werewolf movie that used the gargoyle script from Ultima 6, presumably without permission. Great podcast Uh-oh. as always. I'll definitely check this, this uh, story out. So, Oh, I, I love I love Ultima. Uh, that was, that was, I grew up playing those games, especially <laughs> Ultima 4 and 5. I played the heck out of those. I loved them. If you're a computer nerd of a certain age. Oh, yes. And and then our other feedback comes on our episode 284. So going back a bit to the 12th Doctor story, Listen. Uh, Jim wrote via email, I wanted to add, there's a novel in which Sherlock Holmes, a previously unknown second brother, and Dr. Watson meet the Doctor, Ace, and Bernice called All Consuming Fire. It's also a big finish story. So hmm. uh, something to check out. Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you both. We love to get uh, feedback from listeners. Uh, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Dennis S., Ryan, Tobias B., Olivia A., and Matthew C. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. Uh, we'd love to hear what you think of the Reboss operation, this Fourth Doctor story. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com, the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, send an email to Who at sqpn.com, or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the first Doctor story, The Time Meddler. Until then, Jimmy Yakin, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, there's no comfort in dying. It's the last thing I want to do.